welcome to the Covenant Life Center podcast. We're so thankful that you chose to listen to this message. To get more connected with us, you can look us up on all social media at CLC Victoria and download our app. Now, here's this week's message. My sermon title tonight is It's On Me. There's nothing I love hearing more whenever I'm at a restaurant, I'm meeting with people, and then somebody grabs my ticket and says, hey, Caleb, don't worry about it. It's on me. Um, we're going to be reading out of the book of Philemon um, tonight. And uh, every time that we get into the word of God, we're going to get into the book of Philemon, chapter 1, verse 8 through 18. But every time, I want to make a statement. Every time that we open up the word of God, we believe that we should be looking for Jesus. Because we believe that the whole Bible points to Jesus. All 66 books from Genesis to Revelation, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, written by over 40 authors, all inspired by one true author, the Holy Spirit, written in a time frame from 1,500 years, from beginning to end, every book, every chapter, every verse, and every sentence, and every single word points to the gospel and Jesus Christ. Period. That's what we believe. So, there's a lot of great morals, there's a lot of great values, there's some great, you know, ethics in the Bible. But here at this church, we don't worship principles, we worship a person. We don't worship a system, we actually worship our Savior. Because that's a relationship, and we don't believe in religion, we believe in relationship here at this church. So tonight, I want to look at the book of Philemon, or Philemon, tonight. It's one of the Pauline epistles in the Bible. An epistle is pretty much a letter that's written out to a specific group, individual, or church. The Apostle Paul is responsible for writing 13 epistles in the New Testament, one of which is the book of Philemon. And he's actually writing to an individual. And I don't know how you pronounce this word. Uh, I've heard some people say Philemon, like Pokemon. Um, and I was like, I don't, I don't know if that's the right way to pronounce this. So I looked it up, and the correct way to pronounce this word, the pronunciation, for this book is actually Philemon, or, yeah, I call it Philemon, and that's, what, that's how you pronounce it. But anyways, the Apostle Paul is actually the author, like I said, for this specific scripture, and he's writing to a guy by the name of Philemon, and as he's writing to this guy by the name of Philemon, um, you got to understand, because I believe that whenever we look at the Word of God, we got to understand the historical context. Please stand with me a little bit longer. We're getting somewhere, I promise you. But Philemon is actually a church leader in the city of Colossae. Colossae. He's, in, he's a church leader in the city of Colossae, a, a city where the Apostle Paul went and ministered and actually established a church. And what's actually happening in the scripture, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to Philemon on behalf and in regards to a guy by the name of Onsimus. I have to pronounce this again. I've practiced this like a thousand times on home at the house because it's Greek translations. Where's it at? Onesimus. Yeah, that's how you pronounce it. Onesimus. His name is Onesimus. And he's actually a slave underneath Philemon. And Philemon is upset at Onesimus because Onesimus supposedly stole or did something wrong that upset Philemon. And he actually runs away to the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to Philemon, encouraging Philemon to accept him back into his own home. And that's what he's doing, and that's what we're picking up on 
And one thing to consider in this book is the book of Philemon is the shortest letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, but I don't think its size should ever fool us because, you know, this is also one of the most explosive letters that the Apostle Paul ever wrote because in in this passage of Scripture, this is the only book that the Apostle Paul wrote where he doesn't directly mention the resurrection and death of Jesus Christ, but instead of declaring it, he actually demonstrates it with his actions and, and what he does. Because I think it's one thing to declare who Jesus Christ is, but I think it's another thing to demonstrate who Jesus Christ is by your actions. Anyways, let's get into it. I just want to make sure that we all are on the same page and understand the historical context. But let's read Philemon, Philemon chapter 1, verse 8 through 18. It says this, Therefore, although in Christ... I could be bold and order and order you to do what you ought to do. Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have loved to keep him with me so that way he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel because the apostle Paul is actually in prison at the time of this writing. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. He's talking about Onesimus in the relationship between Onesimus and Philemon. No longer as a slave, I love this because he addresses slavery, but better than a slave. As a dear brother, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. I love that part. Welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong, or owes you anything, I want you to catch this, charge it on me. My sermon title tonight, like I said, is It's On Me. It's on me. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's on me. Let's pray. We'll get into it, and uh, let's see what God can do. God, I thank you, Lord, for tonight. I thank you for your word, Jesus. I I thank you, Lord, that you still speak, that you still move, God, by your spirit. I thank you for your anointing, Jesus. I pray that by the time that we leave this place, God, that we would all become closer to you, Jesus, than when we first came in, God. Pray that you would lift up every heavy heart, God, for those in here that feel like they're struggling, God, for those in here that feel like they're slaves, Lord. I pray that you would encourage them tonight, Lord, that you would lift all the heavy weights, Lord, and we walk out better than the way that we came in because we love you, Jesus, and it's all about you, Lord. And if you love Jesus, can you give him a hand clap tonight, church? And after that, you can go ahead and be seated. Have you ever acted or pretended like you were going to run away? Is it just me and my siblings? Maybe because pastors' families are very dysfunctional. Don't let us fool you. You need to pray for us just like we need to pray for you. But I remember each and every single one of my siblings, including myself, pretending like we were going to run away or actually, you know, making a decision in our minds that we were going to run away. I, I remember this one time specifically whenever I was seven years of age. I had gotten mad at my parents for something that they did. I think they got after me for something that I did wrong, and I was, sick of getting, I was sick of getting told what to do, that I decided that I was going to run away from home. 
So I go into my room. I, I pack up my bags. I put, you know, I put a pillow. I put a blanket. You know, I put all the necessary toys in there. I put in, you know, Lego Bionicles because I could not survive without those things. Anybody remember that? That was like, that was like my thing back then. And I, I walk out the door. As I'm walking out the door, I, I notice my little sister Allison. My, my little sister Allison actually notices me, and she says, Caleb, where are you going? And I said, I'm running away. I can't stay in this house anymore. I'm seven years of age, right? Where am I going? She freaks out. As I walk out the door, she goes to my parents, and the great loving parents that my parents are, after Allison tells my parents that I'm leaving, my parents respond by saying, don't worry, Allison, he'll be back. (laughs) He'll be back. So uh, I go outside the house. I'm running away. I take a right as soon as I run outside my parents' house. We lived down the country at the time. And as I'm running away, my little sister bursts and, you know, explodes out the front of the door screaming, Caleb, don't leave me. Don't leave our family. We love you, Caleb. Mom and dad are sorry. And, you know, that's my best impression of her voice. If any girl ever sounded like that at a young age, I feel sorry for them. But she ends up, you know, jumping and grabbing my leg. And I'm, like, dragging her, like, Allison, get off of me. I'm leaving. And I got my bags and everything. And I shake her off. And you know, she ends up running back to the house. She's just in tears. It's an ugly cry. And I make, I, make, I make it one house over. I get to the intersection where four roads connect. And I'm about to cross over the street. But then I realized that I made a grave mistake. And I said, what's my plan from here? I got bionicles. I got a pillow. And I got a blanket. What am I going to do? So I end up running back to my house, giving my parents a hug, and saying, Mom and Dad, I am so very sorry. I won't run away. I love you guys so much. (laughs) In this passage right here, we find this guy by the name of Onesimus. And this guy is not pretending to run away. This guy is actually running away because he had done wrong. You know, he had messed up. You know, he actually runs away from his slave master in Colossae because he did something wrong. And he ends up finding refuge with a guy by the name of Paul in the city of Rome. The apostle Paul is actually in captivity. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. And it's important to note that Onesimus at the time was a Greek, but he wasn't a Christian. And Philemon was a Greek, and he was also a Christian. And not only was he a Christian, but he was also a church leader at the church that the apostle Paul had founded. And one thing that, I really, that really stood out to me in the scripture is that before the Apostle Paul reconciles the relationship between Onesimus and Philemon, he actually reconciles the relationship between Onesimus and Jesus. Before he leads Onesimus back to Philemon, he actually leads Onesimus back to Jesus. He leads Onesimus back to Jesus. And I think it's cool to think that Onesimus could have ran anywhere else whenever he was in trouble but he decided to go find the Apostle Paul. He could have ran anywhere else. He could have went to any other person. He could have had this own plan in his mind whenever he ran away, but he ran to the Apostle Paul, even though he was an unbeliever. It was as as if he knew that the Apostle Paul had something that he needed. Maybe he thought the Apostle Paul was going to be able to help him save his job, but God knew that he he was going to be able to help him save his soul. 
He thought he's going to be able to help me save my job, but it was much bigger than that. God wanted to save his soul. See, Onesimus was counting on the apostle Paul. He was counting on him. He was relying on him. He was going towards him. And I want somebody to know in this place tonight that people in your life are counting on you right now. There are family members who are counting on you. There are friends who are counting on you. There are acquaintances who are counting on you. And guess what? There are even strangers who you don't even know their name that are counting on you tonight. So my first point is in the form of a question. Who is counting on you? Who's counting on you? Just like Onesimus relied and he was counting on the Apostle Paul to help him out, whether you realize it or not, people are counting on you. And one thing I want you to recognize in this passage of Scripture is that at this time of the writing of this letter, the Apostle Paul is actually in prison. He's in prison. And and four years from this moment that he writes this letter, the book of Philemon, he's actually going to die and be beheaded for preaching the gospel. If anybody had an excuse not to help somebody else, that was the Apostle Paul. Because he was in a hard place. He, he was not in the best place. He had some troubles in his own life. And I think one of the biggest lies that the enemy tells us is that just because we're hurting and just because we have trials and tribulations and sufferings and hardships in our life, that means that disqualifies us from helping other people. Because I've heard people say, you know, hurt people, hurt people. But I also think that hurt people can actually help people. Come on. That deserved a hand clap. I believe that hurt people can also help people. Because you may be hurting in this place tonight. You may be having struggles in, in, in your life tonight. You may be going through hardships in your life tonight. But I'm here to tell you, in your test, there is a testimony. In your mess, there is a message. Your story is for God's glory. Amen? And I don't think that we should allow any opposition that is inside and affecting our lives be an excuse for us to ignore other opportunities for us to help other people. Because I understand you're not going to be able to help everybody, that you're one single person. It may feel like a lot of pressure thinking, you know, people are counting on me, Caleb. I don't know if I can handle that pressure. I don't know if I, if, if I can help everybody. But guess what? You were not called to help everybody. You were not called to do everything. But I believe that we're called to do something. Because I've learned that, you know, you can't help everybody, but I believe that everybody is called to help somebody. See, Paul was imprisoned, but he still wrote during this specific time that he was in prison four letters. He wrote the book of Ephesians. He wrote the book of Colossians, he wrote the book of Philemon, and he actually wrote the book of Philippians. Do you know that the book of Philippians in the New Testament was known as the most joyful book during that time? So my question is, how could the Apostle Paul write such a joyful book during such a hard time? That tells me that I may not be able to control my situation, but I can still control my spirit. I may not be able to control my situation, but I can still control my spirit. See, because while Jesus Christ was being crucified, he didn't let that affect his spirit, and he still loved people. He still showed grace and kindness to people that were even killing him in the act. He showed mercy to the thief that was to his right. And I don't know about you, but if I'm facing a struggle in my life, I love how Onesimus runs to the Apostle Paul, even while, Onesim, even when I, even while the Apostle Paul was having struggles of his own. 
Because if I'm going through a struggle in my life, I want to talk to somebody else who has been, you know, who have been through struggles in their own life. But they came out with a better attitude, with the good spirits, better than the way that they went in. So the question is, are we living our lives in a way that attracts those who have, ans- who have questions and that need help in their lives? Because I believe that the best sermon that you're ever going to preach is going to be the life that you live. The best sermon that you're ever going to preach is going to be the life that you live. One thing I've noticed in my life personally is that people aren't attracted to me or they don't follow me as much as they follow the Jesus that's inside of me. If there be any good thing in my life internally or externally, I, want to, I just want to let you know today it's because of Jesus Christ. Everything. I give all glory to God for everything in my life right now, in the past, and in the future. Because in Scripture it says every good and perfect gift comes from above, right? If I want to be a great leader, if I want people to count on me right, and I want to do the right thing, then it's important to know that all great leaders are just great followers. All great leaders are great followers. And there are people right now in your life who are counting on you. There are people that are going to approach you in the future because they they need somebody to talk to. They need a shoulder to lean on. They just need encouragement. They just need to be around somebody who has faith. And one thing you have to be, whenever you're a Christian, you have to be easy to approach and you have to be hard to offend. You have to be easy to approach and you got to be hard to offend. If there's one thing I can say about me coming out of high school, coming through school, because school can be some of the most pressured, you know, stressful environments that you can ever be in because you're surrounded by so many different people, so many different influences, And people have different stances on their beliefs and their morals and their values, even on your workplace. But if there's one thing that I can say, you know, yes, I may have messed up here and there. Yes, I'm not perfect. It says in Scripture that every person has fallen short of the glory of God. But there's one thing that I can't say, that I was consistent. I was faithful. I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything like that. But what I am trying to say is people remember you. People remember who you are. They remember the words that come out of your mouth. They, they remember the actions that you do. Because even to this day, years after high school, I still get text messages and I get phone calls from people from high school and from middle school. And these people are in a tough place. They're going through some hardships in their life. But they say, you know what? I, I remember this guy named Caleb. You know, he, he, he didn't cuss. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. Do that. He was always positive. He was always, he was always friendly. He was always loving to me. He believed in Jesus. I need to call him up because I don't know what to do right now. I don't know who to count on right now. You know, these people have messed up. These people have messed up. I can't rely on these people. I need to get around somebody who has a good attitude, a good spirit, and that loves Jesus. Amen? So there's people that are going to count on you. This last year alone, you know, I, I remember getting a phone call from somebody and they had said, you know, Caleb, I'm in a tough place right now. I don't know what to do. I, I feel like, you know, I haven't even started my relationship with Jesus. And I encouraged them in that moment. And I was able to lead that person to Jesus over the phone. I think that's awesome. And I, I would love to hear some of your testimonies one day. I believe that God's moving in you and through you and around you. But I just want to let you know tonight that people are counting on you. And don't be sad or don't be angry or don't get mad whenever people come to you whenever they're in need. I believe that we should feel privileged whenever people come to us whenever they're in need. You know why? 
Because in their minds, we're like a candle whenever they're in the darkness. Thank you for that. You're awesome, man. Here's my second point. It's really easy to lead others and to have others count on you whenever you realize this one thing. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. I want you to notice how Paul not only tells Philemon to accept Onesimus back as a brother, but he also calls Onesimus a son of his. And he says that if Onesimus owes or has done anything wrong to Philemon, to charge it to himself. He says, okay, look, Philemon, if, if Onesimus has done anything wrong in his life, I, I want you to know that I'm willing to pay off all that debt. I'm willing to take care of all the debts that he has in his life. Just, just take him back. I think this is a beautiful picture of the gospel because the truth is Philemon didn't owe Onesimus anything, but yet he still covered all of his debts. He, he told Philemon, hey, guess what? It's on me. It reminds me of Jesus because Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe because we owed a debt that we could not pay. Amen. Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe because we owed a debt in our lives that we could not pay. And Jesus did not make partial payments. Jesus paid everything up front in full and with compound interest. See, God is good even whenever there's nothing good inside of me. Even whenever I'm bad, I know that I serve a good God. I had a lawn business in high school, and I had about like 20 clients or so. And I was so proud of the lawns that I cut in school. I thought I did such a great job, and it was some good side money as well. My grandpa called me up because he knew that I cut lawns, and he said, Caleb, you know, can you come over and, you know, cut my yard? And I said, sure thing, Grandpa. And I went over to his house, and I was cutting his yard, and I, he told me to weed-eat his flower beds. So I said, okay, Grandpa, I'll weed-eat your flower beds. And whenever I'm weed-eating his flower beds, there's rocks and stones in the flower beds. And as I'm weed-eating the flower bed, you have to realize whenever you're weed-eating, you got to watch out what angle you're pointing the weed-eater at, because that will determine where things fly out of. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing it at the right angle where everything's pointing towards the glass doors on his front porch. And as I have my headphones in, you know, I, I can't really hear much of anything. And I'm weed-eating his flower bed. And all of a sudden, I see my grandpa come outside the house. He says, Caleb, what happened? I said, what are you talking about? And he, he notices the glass, you know, door that's just in pieces. It's shattered. It's bad. And I was ready for my grandpa to yell at me to say, you're never, you know, coming back to my house again. I'm mad at you. You know, you need to pay for it now. I'm not paying you for this job. But instead, he remained composed. He was collective. And he said, it's no big deal, Caleb. Don't even worry about it. So I began to say, Grandpa, I'll take care of whatever it costs. It may, it may cost. I'll pay for the, the glass door. I'll take care of this. I'll take care of that. And my grandpa said, no, Caleb, don't. Don't worry about it. I don't want you to have to worry about it. I'll, I'll take care of it. And I said, Grandpa, you don't understand. Like, I can get my, I can call my parents. And I, we can pay for it. It's no big deal. But my grandpa, <laughs> my grandpa said, no, Caleb, don't even tell your parents about it. I don't want them to even know. I don't want them to be, be worried. I don't want you to feel like you owe me something. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. I love it. Because it kind of reminds me of Jesus a little bit. 
Because the law always declares that we have to do it all. But the gospel declares that Jesus paid it all. The law declares that we have to do it all. The law says do, do, do. Jesus says done, done, done. I want you to know tonight that heaven went bankrupt to set you free. Heaven went bankrupt to get you out. And I want you to know how, val- how, value- how valuable you are tonight because I've heard that the price, you know, you, d- you dictate the value of something by the price that someone is willing to be paid. And I want to read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 19. It says this in, in the NIV. It says, For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ. I love that right there. It is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish blemish or defect. See, Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross for anyone who would believe. And you are not redeemed by silver or gold, but Jesus paid to set us free with his blood. So who is Onesimus? I am Onesimus. See, we got cast away from God, from his presence, because of our wrongs. But through Jesus Christ, we are received back. When Jesus, whenever, whenever Jesus was on the cross, guess what? You were on his mind. Whenever Jesus was on the cross, you were on his mind. And he takes us from becoming, being slaves to becoming sons. He takes us from being slaves to becoming sons just like Paul did for Onesimus. And I'm closing, Haley, so you can go ahead and step on up. I just want to read my conclusion statement. And if we can just stand to our feet, I hope you got something out of tonight. Thank you. Here's my closing statement. Satan said, it's on them. Jesus said, no, it's on me. Satan said it's on them, but Jesus said, no, it's on me. Whenever the devil reminds you of your past, you need to remind him of his future because you are a child of God. You are a son of God. You are chosen. You are favored. You are a royal, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are somebody. You are not a nobody. Whatever you go through life, you need to know that you were bought for a price that you were bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb slaughtered on the foundations of the earth. And guess what? You can't put a price tag on that. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are set free. I love it because Jesus Christ didn't have to do anything, but he did everything. Our mission here at Covenant Life Center is to help our world live, give, and love like Jesus. If our ministry has impacted you in any way, we would love for you to email us at info at clcvictoria.org. You can get connected with us through our social media at clcvictoria and download our app.